1 Samuel chapter 1. And before we read in 1 Samuel chapter 1, let me just read one verse out of Hebrews for you. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now to give you some context, chapter 12 comes before chapter 11 of Hebrews, which is obvious, but chapter 11 of Hebrews is the what we call the great hall of faith. And you have all these men and women of faith and how they toiled in their day concerning the Lord. And so here, the writer to the Hebrews says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I, and I want to start with that verse because the, the, the narrative or the story that we're going to consider this morning is, is one of those great witnesses of how she, Hannah, in her day, in her circumstances, in her difficulties, wrestled and prevailed with the living God. And God used her in a, in a miraculous and mighty way because she had faith in the living God. And so I, my, my prayer this morning is that you would be blessed, that you would be encouraged by the faith of this woman, Hannah. Now, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of times we relegate this story to Sunday school. We relegate it to, to Mother's Day. In fact, this was going to be my Mother's Day lesson. And, and, and I shelved it, obviously, because we didn't have time to go through it. But, but it, it has so impressed my own heart that I feel that it needs to be shared this morning. And so, let, let's, by the help of God, let's read this passage and let's meditate upon some of these thoughts concerning Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, let's, let's start reading. It says, Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophon, of the mountain of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penana. Penana had children, but Hannah had no children. This man, Elkanah, went up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And we'll pause there. And so before we, we, we really delve into the, the, the story of Hannah, I want to set the scene. I want to set the circumstances. I want to set the environment in which the Lord had Hannah. And we get a lot of it from just these four verses that we read. Now, it's not in these four verses, but Hannah and Elkanah and Penana all lived during the time of the judges. Now, you may ask, well, what is the time of the judges? Well, the time of the judges is the time before the kings. There's a book called the book of Judges. And during the time of the judges, God reigned over the children of Israel. God was their king. He wasn't physically there on earth. He had his tabernacle there. But God was their king. And the people were to look to God for guidance. 
Now, I, I don't know how, much, how many of you studied the book of Judges or know the story of the book of Judges, but, but there, there's a pattern in the book of Judges. The people forget the Lord their God and worship idols, it says. And God lets them go in their idolatry, and he allows oppressors to come in and oppress his people because they have forsaken the Lord their God. And certain oppressors would come in and they would, they would steal their crops. They, they would persecute the people. They would enslave the people of God. And it says that when the people would repent and turn to God because they had forsaken their God, God would raise up a judge. God would raise up someone to judge his people and who would deliver his people from those who were oppressed. And so you have men like Othniel. You have men like Gideon. You have men like Samson, who God raised up to deliver his people from his oppressors when they repented. And, and every time in the book of Judges, you have this cycle repeated from generation to generation. They, 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 they followed the Lord as long as there was a judge, a, a man who, who they could look up to, and they, they could see how as he followed the Lord, they would follow the Lord. And when that individual would die, guess what the next generation would do? Fall back into the very same sins. They would forsake the Lord their God and they would follow the idols of those who were around them. And so here we have Hannah and her husband Elkanah and the other wife, Penina. In the time of Judges, now, the time of Judges can be summarized in this. If you just turn a couple pages to the left to the book of Judges, it comes right after the, the book of Ruth. The very last verse of the book of Judges says this. Verse 25, it says, And in those days... There was no king in Israel. Did you hear that? There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That summarizes the time of the judges. It says that there was no king in Israel, but there was. The king of Israel was God himself, and yet the people didn't necessarily recognize that. And they did whatever they wanted in their own eyes. And so they all... Pursued the idols of the people of the land after Baal, after the Asheroth. They did, they did all these things. They did what was right in their own eyes. And so we see here in this story, in the time of the judges, we see a man, Elkanah. Now, Elkanah was not like the other men. For we see that Elkanah actually feared God, does he not? We read that Elkanah would go up on a yearly basis from where he lived, he lived in Ramah. Remember that he lived in Ramah. He was an Ephraimite from the tribe of Ephraim. And he would travel yearly to Shiloh. What was in Shiloh? Shiloh in Shiloh at the time was the tabernacle where God dwelt. The tabernacle was a place where God put his name there. Eventually the tabernacle would be in Jerusalem in the temple in which Solomon would create, would, would, would build. But right now it was, in, it was in Shiloh. And every year he would, he would commute there. So we read that Elkanah was not just any type of man. He was a God, a man who feared God. Yet there is a problem, isn't there? Yet we read in the very second verse of the chapter that the Elkanah had a wife named Hannah. But then he got another wife named Penina. And we read in, I believe, verse 4 that, that, that Hannah had no children. But Penina had many children. And so you begin to understand the circumstances in, in which Hannah lived. Yes, Elkanah was a God-fearing man. 
But he did what was right in his own eyes, didn't he? Now, we don't know this for a fact, but, but what scholars would, would, would tell us that Hannah was probably his first wife. Elkanah probably met Hannah as a young man and, and was smitten by her and, and said, I want to marry that woman and, and made preparation and there was a dowry made and, and, and they were engaged and they got married. And they lived life as husband and wife and, and, and as things naturally should go, they didn't happen. And Elkanah, as much as he loved Hannah, did not receive any children from Hannah. Now, I, I want to paint a picture of what the culture was back then. Because for a woman, her worth, her value was found in the ability to have children. And, and, and we can see that in many different pictures in the, in the scriptures. We, you can go back to Abraham and Sarah. The, the, the value of a woman was found in, in her ability to give her husband children for an inheritance. And Sarah could not. Sarah, we read the story. Sarah could not give Abraham children in her old age. God promised her a child. She's had no child. What does she do? Oh, well, let me help God out. If it's not going to be through me, well, maybe through my handmaiden. That was a disaster, wasn't it? She wasn't the only one. I think I'll give you one in the New Testament. There was poor Elizabeth. Remember Elizabeth? A lot like Sarah, there in her old age, barren, never, never able to give her husband children. And, and when she finally conceived and was bearing a child in her old age, she would cry to the Lord, you have lifted the reproach from me. Her value was in the worth of having children. And Hannah found herself in the same situation. Here she is in a society which valued children, valued male children for an inheritance. And she could not give Elkanah any children. Now, again, we don't know, but we can assume and we can make an educated guess that Elkanah would say, okay, I, I need, I need some offspring. I need some Children for an inheritance to pass on my name. And so he, as much as he loved Hannah, and you will read that he loved Hannah, he went and sought and got himself a second wife. Now, I I do want to pause this to to make a, a, a clarifying statement. Yes, we see polygamy in scripture. And this is not the only place we see polygamy. But nowhere does God endorse polygamy. Nowhere does God allow polygamy. He just endures it. Every, every situation in which we see in scripture of, of a man with multiple wives, let me tell you, it's never, it's never a good one. God's desire and God's design for humanity was one man and one woman. From Genesis, God determined it. It was Adam and there was Eve. And he made Eve for Adam. And they were to be helpmate towards each other. And yet somehow in this time, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so as much as Elkanah feared God and, 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 and followed God, the idea of not having any children had him step outside of the will of God. 
and find himself a second wife. And so here is Hannah, now living as the Word puts it, as the Word of God puts it. This is how God's Word put the relationship between Hannah and Penina, her rival. Her rival. Like, I, I, listen, I don't know how many of you have a, a personal rival. Did any of, you, any of you guys have a rival? Like, that's a strong word, right? Like, yeah, listen, I, I'm not loved by everybody. I, I understand those things, but I don't think I have somebody out there who really hates me and calls me, calls me a rival. But, but, but the word of God puts it that way. Listen, the relationship between Penina and Hannah and her husband Elkanah was so intense and so bitter that the Holy Spirit would call it her rival. It wasn't a good situation, was it? Now, that was the situation at home. Now, I want to go a little beyond that because then we read about that Eli was the priest. Eli was the high priest of the day. And he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Just to give you the, the, the overall picture. Now, Eli, the high priest, had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they were to be those who lead the people of God in spiritual matters. They were to be the teachers of the law. They were to be the examples of holiness. They were to be set apart for the work of God. And you know what we read about Hophni and Phineas? Just turn a page over to chapter 2. Verse 22. It says, listen to these words. Now Eli was very old. And he heard everything his sons did to all of Israel. And how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I fear for your evil dealings from the people, from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not good report that I hear, for you make the Lord's people transgress. Here are the supposed religious spiritual leaders of the people fornicating with the women who hang outside the church. This was the state. This was the circumstances in which Hannah lived. Let's continue to read. Verse 4. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering. Remember, he goes down yearly to to Shiloh to to sacrifice and worship before the Lord. And in verse 4 it says, Whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, an offering of worship to the Lord, he would give a portion to Penina, his second wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Although the Lord, I'm sorry, I skipped the portion there. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Now here you have just a small glimpse of what it was to be in that household. Just a very small glimpse of what what it is to be uh, live day to day as Hannah. Elkanah, Loved Hannah. And he had a second wife, Penina. Penina was fruitful. She had sons, plural. Daughters, plural. And Hannah had none. And so when they would go down to Shiloh to worship the Lord, he, he, he would bless his family by giving them a portion of the sacrifice. And he would give to Penina. And he would give to her children. And there was Hannah all by herself. 
And so Elkanah, as best as he could. You know, us men can be kind of dim-witted and knuckle-headed at times when it comes to matters of the heart. And he says, oh, I know what to do. I'm going to give her a double portion. I'm going to give her twice as much steak. I wonder what his, what, I wonder what his love language was. Did that help the situation? I don't think so. I, just to give you a little bit of an idea of what it was like. You see, when Elkanah and his wives would travel down to Shiloh to worship before the Lord, it wasn't just supposed to be a few people. When they came down for the Feast of Jehovah, when the people were called to come to worship before the Lord once a year, generally it was all the tribes of Israel were to come. So you imagine that Shiloh would become a very busy place. Everybody would be coming. And guess what it would also be? It probably was most likely a family reunion. For all the distant cousins and the aunts and the uncles that you have, guess what you're going to see them once a year? You're going to see them at Shiloh. Now, again, I, I don't know this to be true, but I, I just could imagine the scene there, right? There Elkanah comes with both his wives and his children, and he arrives at, at, the, at the family tent. It's a massive tent. And there is grandma and grandpa, a great uncle, great aunt, a, 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 a sister, cousins, a nephews, nieces, grandchildren. And they're all together. And they're all, oh, there's Elkanah. Oh, oh, look at the children. They've gotten so big. Oh, Panena, look at them. They're precious. And there's Hannah in the background. No children. Not, not Nothing this year, Hannah? No, 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 no children. Year after year. Listen, listen what it says. It says, her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her wombs. So it was year after year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her and therefore she wept and did not eat. This was a yearly and annual event. Not only did she provoke her during the year at home at Ramah, but every year Every time she got together with her family, she was reminded of the fact that she was barren. And Penina probably made it ten times worse. Now I do want to pause to highlight one thing. Twice in those verses we read, it says that the Lord closed her womb. That the Lord closed her womb. Twice God indicates to us that it was God who closed her womb. Now, that's important. That's important, brothers and sisters. Listen. Because in our circumstances, I, I, listen, I, I can testify to this. There's been moments in my life, moments of great difficulty, where I would throw my hands up at the heavens and say, Why, Lord? Why? And when you consider that thought, when you consider that the infinite God, the God who knows all things, who sees the whole picture from beginning to end, who desires nothing but good to those who he loves, 
And we, in our finite thinking, in our puny mind, can look and put our hands up to the living God and say, Lord, why? You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong, Lord. That's part of our walk of faith, isn't it? Hannah had to figure that out. Hannah had to wrestle with God concerning these things. Hannah had to, had to come to terms with the will of God in her life. Come to terms with the sovereign will of God in her life. She could not see the end like we do. We have the privilege of knowing the story. But you, could you imagine the circumstances in which she lived? She probably was depressed. She probably was depressed in her home life. She was depressed when she came to Shiloh to worship the Lord. The Lord had closed the room. And so I ask you, look at her faith. Look at her faith. We read that she, she comes up year by year. Year by year, she, 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 she has to live it all out again. And year by year, she goes before the Lord. Now, I, I can only imagine what her prayers were year by year. But in this circumstances, it was a little different. In verse 8, it says, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Again, men in their knuckleheadness. Why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grievous? Am I not better than you than ten sons? And it says, it says, listen, verse nine. It says, and Hannah arose after they had eaten, and and uh, after they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. I imagine that she did this year by year. She could not improve her state. She could not bear any children. And I imagine every year she went to the temple and she wept in anguish. Now look at, listen to her prayer. She says, in verse 11 it says, And then she made a vow and said, O Lord, it says, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed will look upon the afflictions of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your, male, uh, your maidservant a male child. Now, I, I stopped there for a reason. The cry of Hannah it's not an unreasonable cry, is it? It's not. It's not a. It's not a, a, a selfish desire. She desires children. She desires to be a blessing to her husband. She desires to be a, a blessed woman. Her worth is found in being able to bear children, and she has a reproach on her. And I imagine year by year she would come and pray to the Lord, remember your maidservant, do not forget me, Lord, but give me a male child. And year by year she would say, give me a male child, give me a male child. And year by year she would come back empty-handed. But this year was different. 
Because she doesn't stop with that prayer, does she? Here's her faith. It says, Do not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Now listen. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall come upon his head. Do you see what happened there? Everything that meant life to her, everything that made her worth anything, the ability to give a male child to her husband, she just said, Lord, if you give me that male child, I will give it back to you. Everything that I am worth, everything of any value that I have to give, I give to you. Do you see the difference? When she asks for a child, she's asking you for a child, not for herself, not for her husband. But he's saying, she's saying, Lord, it belongs to you. And in the anguish of her soul, she made a vow before God and in her faith. Listen, this is an important point. This is the point of the whole story. What is it in your life? That holds so much value. That that's at the top of your uh, of, of, of your heart. That holds all the purpose. That holds all the value. Are you willing to give it to the Lord? Do you have enough faith to give it to the Lord? Now that, that, that could be a myriad of things. In her case, it was the ability to give to have a male child. She relinquished it. She released it to the Lord. It belongs to you, Lord. If you give me a child, she says, I make this vow, I give it back to you. And she will give it to the Lord all the days of his life. Now I ask you, what do you value in your life? What is it that you, that you, that you anguish over? What is it that you toil over? What is it that you worry about? Do you have enough faith to give it to God? Because ultimately, the truth is this, brothers and sisters. It all belongs to him anyways. It all belongs to him. She says it later on. Yes, he's my son, but I have lent him to the Lord all the days of my life. All all the days of his life. They belong to him. And so Hannah, we're running out of time, but Hannah... Praise this prayer. He, she makes this vow before God. Now, I, I, she has this interaction with the high priest, and, and, and I, I, don't, I don't have time to get into it, but I, I do want to highlight this. Verse 15, it says, But Hannah answered to the high priest, which is Eli. Eli accused her of being drunk. A woman, how, how long are you going to be drunk? Put away your wine from you. And here is, here's the heart of Hannah. She was accused of, of being a sinful, wretched woman. And here she is making a vow, a vow before her God. She says, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul. Poured out my soul. What, 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 do you, what do you do with wine, by the way? 
you, you pour it out into a glass and you consume it, right? And then those who, 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 who pour out the wine and consume the wine are ultimately controlled by the wine. And here she's saying, listen, I, I'm not drunk, I have poured out my sorrows, my anguish, who I am before the Lord. It's a very vivid picture of a surrendered life. Are you surrendered to the Lord? Here she, here's this woman who surrendered all that she values, all that she is before the Lord. She's surrendering and pouring herself out to the Lord. And the high priest says, go, go on, may the Lord grant you a petition of your heart. Now verse 19, skip down, it says this. And they arose in the morning, and they worshipped the Lord, and, re- and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass, in the process of time, that Hannah conceived and bore a son. Now, I, 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 I didn't highlight it, but Hannah makes this vow before God. Releases it to the Lord. Releases her, her, her worth, her value, everything she is to the Lord and gives it to the Lord. She, she returns home and she is now not depressed, but she eats, she feels better. They worship, they go home. And it says that in the process of time. Now, I don't know how, I don't know how strong your faith is. I, I, I don't, I don't think it happened the first month. Because this is in the process of time. He, Elkanah knew her, her his wife, and, and in the process of time, and, and these things take time, don't they? And maybe the first month went by and nothing happened. How would your faith hold if you were Hannah? I made this vow before God. I, I released it to the Lord. And, and may, maybe he'll give me a, a male child. One month goes by and nothing happens. Maybe two months, three months, four months. I, listen, I, I don't know how many of you have experienced something like that. The, the, the strong desire to have a child is, is such a such a human thing. I I can only speak from my own experience. When, when me and my wife were married and we got pregnant the first time, as some of you know, we had a miscarriage, and it it it, it flattened us. It destroyed us. It really did. I, yeah, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I, Lord, is it my fault? Did I do anything wrong? What, what should I do? And I remember uh, for the, the next couple months, the, the, the agony it was to not being pregnant. And the, the sorrow and the heartache that, that happened every month because we weren't pregnant. And one month goes by, and two months go by, and every month, every time, there's tears, and there's sorrow, and there's anguish. And here is Hannah. Made this vow before God. And it says, in the process of time, God remembered her, and she conceived. Now you may say, well, there we go. It's such a happy story. It's all over. She had her male child. I would say to you, pause 
and consider what she had to go through. She made a vow before God. It's a serious thing to make a vow to God. And here she is, pregnant with child. The one thing she wanted more than life itself, she's pregnant. Now, pregnancy is a beautiful thing. To see a woman who's pregnant and to see the, the growth of the child and, and, and her getting bigger. The, the, the first time the baby kicks or when the baby has hiccups inside the womb and is jumping in the belly. I, all these wonderful experiences that a mother has with her unborn child. And I wonder if she had to stop and think and, and, and realize he doesn't belong to me. He belongs to the Lord. Every time he would kick and wake her up at night, she had to say, he belongs to him. She's not my, he's not my child. And to carry the baby for nine months, full term, and to give birth to that beautiful baby boy, she had to remind herself, He belongs to the Lord. He belongs to the Lord. Can you begin to enter to what kind of faith she had to have? The one thing she desired more than life itself, she had to give to the Lord. She made a vow to God. And with all the experience that a mother goes through, she had to give it to the Lord. I, I, I think of Romans chapter 12 verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as a holy sacrifice. Listen. When Hannah had to remind herself that Samuel belonged to the Lord every, with, with every little event, with every little moment, the moment she had to remind herself He belongs to the Lord. Do you belong to the Lord? I I tell you, you you need to remind yourself, as Hannah did, that you belong to the Lord. Did you not die with Christ? It's not you who's supposed to be living, but it's Christ in you. Why do we live life for ourselves? We need to remind ourselves, we belong to Him. We belong to Him. We belong to him. And we read that Hannah said, I will take the child up when he's weaned. Now generally the custom of the day is that the mother would, would, would breastfeed a child to about the age of three. And he said, she said, I will go up when he is weaned. Now, I want you parents to think about that. If you had three years with your child, three years to see him grow up, to see little Samuel as, as, as from, from infant to baby to toddler to walking, to talking, teaching him how to make his bed, teaching him about the Lord, she was going to dedicate him to the Lord. She, he was going to remain at, at Shiloh with the high priest. 
She had to, she had three years to consolidate a lifetime of parenting. Three years. How would we do? How would we do? Three years. For three years, she poured the fear and admonition of the Lord into that young man. Samuel, which, which by the way means asked of God. Little Samuel, by the way, was a contemporary of Samson. Now we read that, that, that in, in Hannah's vow to the Lord, it says that no, no razor will come upon his head. And, and that what that's insinuating is a Nazarite vow. is meaning that, that Samuel from birth will be dedicated to the Lord. He will be set apart to the Lord. He, he will not, she would not consume any strong drink while, while she was pregnant. He would not consume anything from the fruit of the vine. He would, he would never cut his hair as a symbol of his sanctification or his holiness unto the Lord, his set apartness to the Lord. And from the age of three, this child was raised in such a way. And I don't know, at the age of three and a half, I don't, we don't know exactly. At the time in which everybody went to the temple, she took him to the temple. She took him there to Shiloh. And there she approaches the high priest, the one who accused her of being drunk. And he says, my Lord, I am that woman. I am that woman who was here with you in anguish, praying before the Lord. He says, for this child I have prayed. And for this child I am here. And we read in verse 28. I'm sorry, verse 26. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as my soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me the petition of my heart that I asked him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped. So they worshipped. I remember at the beginning of my message, who were Eli's sons? Hophni and Phineas. What type of character were those guys? Could you imagine your three-year-old son leaving him in the same house as those guys? I ask you, do you have that kind of faith? Hannah had to exercise that kind of faith. God gave her this male child. And she reminded herself through the whole process. He belongs to the Lord. She wasn't ignorant. She knows what, what, what Hophni and Phineas were. She knew exactly who they were. And here is her precious son. Lent to the Lord all the days of his life. Lent to the Lord all the days of his life. It says they worshipped. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says that Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Left her three-year-old son. Her three-year-old son with an old fat man, Eli. Was she trusting in Eli? 
Because Eli's parenting skills were, I mean, they were on par, weren't they? I mean, just look, look at the fruit of his loin. Who was she trusting in? Who could, who, who could, who could she entrust her little boy to? It could have been men. They were flawed. They were, they were, they were corrupt. They were evil. She could only trust to the Lord. Did she have faith? I believe she did. Now look at chapter 2, verse 18. It says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a little linen ephod. It says, Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year which she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Nowadays, we have communication at our fingertips. My, my children are, are away at camp, but if I wanted to talk to them, if I, if I wanted to see them, actually, I could pick up my phone and FaceTime them, and I could see them. I could look them in the eyes. I could look them in the face. And I had to wait a year. She had to wait a year to see his face, to hear his voice. And she could only trust the living God, trust that he was going to be fed, trust that he was going to be okay. Trust the living God. The word in Scripture is very vivid, isn't it? It said that she would make him a little robe. A little robe. He wasn't a 13-year-old kid. He was a little kid. He was just a little boy. And she trusted the living God with her three-year-old child. And I ask you, what was the end of all this purpose? All this sacrifice, all this, all, all this that she had to give up. Listen, God would change a nation through that young man. God would change the, the, the direction in which the children of Israel were going because of that young man, because of that woman's sacrifice. The children of Israel would be redeemed for a generation because she was willing to step out in faith, because she was willing to trust the living God with all that she helped, with all that she held as worth. God used Samuel in a mighty way. Remember I said that Samuel and Samson were contemporaries? Meaning they, they, they lived around the same time. They were the same generation. By the way, they both were, were sanctified or they were Nazarites from the womb. Compare the two. What kind of person was Samson? He was a judge. What type of judge was he? And here's Samuel. Just one more verse before we close. I love the heart of God, how he, he's a debtor to no man, and he honors his people. In chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, when, when Samuel is now older, and, and he is now the judge, it says in verse 15 it says, And Samuel, now being a full adult, he says, And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. 
He went from year to year on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all those places. And so the Lord took this, this young man and, and he molded him and he made him into a godly individual in which he would use to judge and to rule his people. And he would diligently go and he would go from place to place on a year to year basis all the days of his life. Now look at, look at verse 17. It says, But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. He was lent to the Lord, but his home was with his mother, wasn't it? She lent him to the Lord all the days of his life. And in all the stuff that Samuel did, all the stuff that God did through Samuel, he always came home to Ramah, where his mother was. The faith of one woman the faith of one woman who would simply just heed and allow herself to give up all that she has for the will of God and to have enough faith to, 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 to follow through with it. Listen, if any of us were in that situation today and we didn't follow through with our vow, I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't. But she had enough faith in the living God. And she walked with the living God in such a way that she knew that she could entrust her child to the God who gave her that child. And so I ask you, do you have that kind of faith? We, 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 we pray for our children here at this church all the time. And, and, and the Lord blessed us with so many children. And, and, and yes, there are children And we love our children. But remember, we're nothing but a steward of what God has given us. They belong to the Lord. They belong to the Lord. If the Lord calls our children to some foreign field and some dangerous place, would we be okay with it? They don't belong to us. They belong to him. Remind ourselves that they belong to Him. Not only only them, but we, we belong to Him as well. Do we have that kind of faith? Do we walk in such a way? We belong to Him. We belong to Him. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father, we... We thank you, Lord, that you are a, you're a caring God. You're a God who looks upon those who are on the outside, those who are barren, those who are the orphan, the widows, the needy, the poor. And they find a place, they find a home in you. They find a, 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 a salvation in you, Lord. Lord, I, I, I think of this woman, Hannah, Lord, this, this bright light in your word who would be willing to give it all up. Who would be willing to give everything that she holds with value, everything that she is worth to you. 
And not just to do it half-hearted or haphazardly, but to do it with intent and do it full-heartedly. Not expecting to, to, to get anything in return, and yet you would bless her. Yes, she gave hand, she gave Samuel to you, but Lord, you would bless her with many children after that. Lord, we know you're a debtor to no man, and yet we walk around afraid of what we can lose. When you own everything, Lord. Lord, help us to have a perspective like Hannah. Help us to see our lives, to see what you've given us, our, 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 our material goods, our children, our family, our life, our time, our energy, our resources. They all belong to you, Lord. Help us to live in such a way, in such a manner. Lord, help us to walk in such a, a faith, in such a way. I ask all these things in your son's name, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.